Hi, and welcome to Let's Chat Cash, a podcast about women and their money. Each episode is a frank and open discussion with one woman about her personal relationship with her money. My hope is that by having these conversations, we can break down some of the stigma of talking about money and empower each other as women to take more control over our finances. This week's episode is a conversation with Jazz Rabadia, MBE. Jazz is Senior Manager of Energy and Initiatives at Starbucks Coffee Company and is responsible for managing their energy, water and recycling practices across Europe, Middle East and Africa. She is a passionate advocate of diversity within STEM, which stands for Science, Engineering, Technology and Maths, I had to Google that, and was awarded her MBE for services to the energy sector. We chatted about managing money within a marriage, incorporating charitable giving into her budget, and the impact being a second-generation immigrant has had on her spending habits. Stick around to the end for my more money section, where I'll be sharing something from the personal finance world which I found helpful, and I think you might too. But first, I started off by asking Jazz how she got her first break in sustainability. To be honest, it was a bit of laziness slash cheekiness. (laughs) So I worked uh, part-time on a mm-hmm. Sainsbury's checkout, as most kind of students do, yeah. uh, whilst I was studying mechanical engineering at City University. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just to pay the phone bills, kind of make some new friends and kind of uh, just get a bit of pocket pocket money. Mm-hmm. But it then evolved into uh, my final year project. So my dissertation ended up being an energy study at the Sainsbury's that I was working in. Oh, wow. So from a very early age, I was f- trying to find ways of getting paid <laughs> to do what I'm supposed to do anyway right <laughs> so I basically got paid to do my dissertation because oh. I would do it in work hours okay um carried out this massive energy study helped to save them money um got recognized by the head office Whoa. eventually they offered me a job and that was it that was my big break um but they didn't just offer me a job I pestered them pretty much daily yeah so wait so you were doing this project while you were basically working on the checkouts in Sainsbury's yeah and then what how did you get that to their attention so I contacted the head office I told them about some of the work that I was doing uh they helped um provide some energy data which validated that I'd saved the company six thousand pounds or that particular store wow six thousand pounds in the year that I'd uh, be working on the project invited me to the head office, asked me to present my project. um, And then eventually I kept knocking on their door saying, so anything for me? And one day he called me back and said, I've got a a job. That's amazing. So, and then alongside doing obviously all this through your day job, you've also been like an ambassador, haven't you, for energy, for, is it like people from diverse backgrounds? Like how do you describe your kind of role of trying to increase the pool of who considers this as a career? Generally, there's just so I studied engineering and there are only, I think, nine percent. I think we're on at the moment uh, of females that enter engineering, Um, even even less so from ethnic backgrounds. So Mm. I guess it was just I found myself often being the only young female Asian in the room. Mm -hmm. um, And I couldn't understand why, because it was such an exciting sector to be part of. Mm. You know, I put into practice communication, creativity. Mm. Yes, there's a technical element to it. Um, but a lot of it is also common sense. So I think these are all skills and attributes that people hold, but don't necessarily know that they could apply them to energy engineering sustainability. Yeah. So I just, I was on this campaign of how do I help raise the awareness that this is a massive sector that will be in demand for the next 20 years um, and show that it's actually, it's sexy. You know, you can work in sustainability and work for the biggest coffee brand in the world. Yeah. I think that's a really... 
it's a kind of jaw on the floor moment when I mm. talk to some of these school kids um, whilst I'm presenting. Mm. And uh, yeah, I just want to show that kind of opportunities exist in every single organisation out there mm. um, in energy and sustainability because they've all got bills to pay and money to save. Yeah. And so what do you think some of the barriers are for, for people from a different background to considering that as a career? I just think it's lack of awareness. It's mm. it's that they don't know that it exists. Um, and equally, it's you know often the typical stereotypes of you become a lawyer or an accountant or a doctor and you'll make it. Right. Well, actually, you could become an engineer and earn just as much and have just as varied a, a day job. And the thing that attracted me to this kind of whole sector is the ability to make a genuine difference. Like mm. I see the savings and the results of what I do almost instantly. Mm. Um, and, you know, when you kind of work in sustainability, you are hopefully, uh, you know, working for a better tomorrow. Mm. And I think that that's something that helps me sleep at night is that actually my job is worthwhile. Yeah. Yes, I am one person, um, but I'm also one person empowering a whole host of others mm. uh, to, to do their bit. Mm. And so all this good work that you've been doing actually earned you an MBE. I know, right? Which is mental. <laughs> it's like, it's so cool. I still sometimes, yeah, think, did that actually happen? What was that like? Can you tell me just a little bit about what, how do you, how do you even find out that that's a thing that is going to happen to you? So I literally came back from holiday. I had this letter, um, which looked very official, delivered to my work address, which was also a bit strange. And actually about a couple of weeks before I went on holiday, I took part in a women in engineering event and it was, um, we were trying to break a a Guinness world record. I think it was the most women gathered doing a jumping high five um, in the world. Of course, as you yeah. do, just standard yeah. day I, I, in jazz's I life. I don't think it was a difficult one to break. <laughs> um, so I actually thought it was maybe it's a certificate or something along those yeah. lines. Yeah. Open this letter. And I honestly, I must have read it about three times because I didn't understand what it was telling me. Mm. I didn't understand whether it said I've been nominated for an MBE or I've got the MBE or would I like an MBE? <laughs> would you like one? I, I'd love it if they asked. If I had no idea. Me. <laughs> I, I mean, to be honest, I had no idea about really about the honour system mm. until I was kind of injected into it. Mm. And then it also says, don't tell a soul. Oh, really? So I was sworn to secrecy, but oh luckily gosh. for me, I mean, lucky for the for the network that I'm a part of, I actually know somebody who has an OBE. Oh, check you dropped her a little nine and Mm. said you know what does this letter mean she goes you must accept find your sari and i'm so delighted for you and don't tell a soul wow it must be this you know this secret society secret club so i literally okay i told i did tell (laughs) i told my brother and i told my hubby yeah uh, because i had to i had to just share the news but i had to then wait three whole months oh um, it's a long time. Learning about it to New Year's Eve when the honours are announced. Wow. I, I literally saw my mum the day before and she couldn't believe the next day that I hadn't told her. Oh my gosh. But yeah, sworn to secrecy. That's amazing. It was, I think it was the proudest moment in my mum's, uh, my mum and dad's life. It's incredible. Um, for me, it was just, yeah, it was just such a bizarre moment mm. to think everything I've done because I love doing it. Yeah. I didn't really feel it was deserved in that, you know, I hadn't gone out of my way to do something groundbreaking as yeah. far as I was concerned. Mm. And that somebody had taken the time to anonymously uh, vote for me. Oh, or, so is that how it works? So yeah. someone puts you forward, but you don't know. Yeah, who. you don't know. And the, and the reason is because if you're, 
you know, if the honours isn't accepted mm. um, and your nomination isn't accepted, then it's not necessarily a disappointment to you. Okay. The candidate. So the idea mm. is somebody would put you forward. Uh, that will then get assessed by several committees mm. and then they decide on whether it's worthy or not. So imagine they have to submit quite a lot of evidence. Mm. It then emerged that a few people had been contacted. Mm. So my ex-boss. Oh, um, several people have been contacted. Okay, so you sort of have to verify it a bit. Exactly, yeah. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, I went to the palace. Wow. In the sari. That's amazing. And, yeah. It's so cool. It's shocking, but it happened. And, yeah, I just, I guess it's, the best kind of feeling was it's happened to an ordinary person like mm, me. Mm. Um, and I think that, yes, we get, you, you see the news and there's a lot of stick when certain celebrities do or don't get the honours. But I think... The idea is it recognises everyday people yeah. making a difference in, you know, in their sphere of yeah. the world. Um, and yeah, I just feel really, I mean, honoured. Yeah. Excuse the pun. Really <laughs> honoured to have received an honour. Yeah. And, you know, that's for life, providing I don't do anything. <laughs> Silly. <laughs> okay, keep you on the straight and narrow. I feel like when you look at your CV on paper or your bio, like you've got an MBE, you've got all these like other awards, you kind of assume that you had a pretty, I guess, privileged background like growing up like maybe went to some like high-flying private boarding school or whatever but that because I know you I know that wasn't really the case do you want to talk a little bit just about your kind of home life growing up like what kind of did you have loads of cash from your parents like what was your background so I'd say I had a fairly standard upbringing uh I went to a normal school uh actually the high school I went to doesn't even exist today because it kind of went that downhill wow um but from a very young age I was I guess taught the importance and the value of money so both my parents would have come to this country with pretty much nothing in their pocket um you know worked hard saved immensely um never really denied us anything in life but also you know we weren't showered with the newest trainers or sportswear etc so i remember at 13 you know even from a very young age i was independent so i had a paper round i think it paid me about 13 pound a week okay which at the time... How, um, how many times did you have to deliver papers? Once a week. Okay. But to about two streets. Right. Uh, but again, it was... I was surprised that they let me do it. Mm. It was a lot safer back then, mm. to be honest. Uh, but I was still a young girl delivering yeah. papers. But luckily I had two older brothers, so I was always quite protected in that respect. Mm. Um, so yeah, from the age of 13, I was earning £13 a week. Nice. Um, from the age of 16, I was allowed to get my first supermarket job. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, at the time, a lot of my relatives um, weren't allowed to do that. Oh, really? Yeah, it was considered that you know you don't want you don't want them working alone, traveling home late at night. And when you say relatives, do you mean male relatives, female relatives? Oh, just generally my cousins. So, right. Yeah, actually, usually the girls. Mm. Um, it was you know, is they're walking home late at night? Mm. How are you going to get there? And shouldn't you be focused on your studies? So I think actually I owe a lot to my parents and the kind of independence that they were driving within me um, because at, from a very early age, I was working hard for that money mm-hmm. and wasn't in a position to just blow it. I'd had to wake up or I'd had to do a shift um, after having gone to school mm-hmm. and then coming back home tired and thinking, actually, I've worked really hard for that, mm-hmm. you know, 20 quid. Yeah, I'm going to make sure I save it for something that I really can enjoy. Mm-hmm. Can you remember one of the first things that you saved up to buy with that? Paper and money. Most likely, it would have been a pair of Reebok Classics for non-school uniform. <laughs> <laughs> I also remember before, you know, before the paper round came in, 
pretty much begging my parents for that newest pair of trainers. But yeah, I think I quickly became very unmaterialistic, if that's a, if that's a word, mm. because it's it really quickly came to not be about things, but to be about experiences. Mm. I think from the age of about fourteen, fifteen, it was I didn't I didn't want the latest handbag. Mm. Or, I mean, I always wanted the latest pair of trainers. <laughs> that was probably my weak spot. Um, but yeah, I wasn't I wasn't in the business of sp- splashing loads of cash. But I never said no to anything either. So I, from, you know, I get, I had the independence to make those thoughtful decisions from a very early age. And I think mm. that's really set me up for life. Mm. What kind of, um, do you feel like there's any particular lessons that you have learned from your parents about money? Like, were they savers or spenders or... Definitely savers, even to this day, where they have the luxury of, you know, kids are all grown up. Uh, we're all we're all settled. We're all in the financially, you know, comfortable. They will still save just in case. Right. And it's that you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring mm-hmm. uh, mentality. I think I'm not as what's the word? I'm not probably as militant as they are in terms of saving. I I still spend and I like the luxuries in life, certain luxuries, but I also had that mentality in the back of my mind to think actually, what if tomorrow work just ends? Yeah. Or there there was a pot, there's always a pot of rainy rainy day money Mm. um, just so I'm not living kind of day by day, paycheck by paycheck. Mm. Mm. Although I have just come off mat leave. So I, totally understand mm. what that feels like also yeah yeah so uh, like as an adult now would you describe yourself more as a saver or a spender i say i save to spend <laughs> so i wouldn't just get paid and then blow it but i would equally you know i have things that are quite expensive that people would sometimes maybe question mm-hmm. but i will take time to figure out whether it's what I want, what I need, and and whether it's worth it. Mm. So I think that, you know, that kind of not impulse buying uh, allows you to evaluate it and then make an informed choice. Mm. Um, so I, w- both my husband and I, we wouldn't go out to the shops and just buy something. Right. We'd go home and we'd Google it and then we'd see if it's cheaper somewhere else. And then by the time, sometimes, by the time we've decided whether we want it or not, we don't want it. Yeah. You know, and, and I remember actually very early on, I wanted a pair of Timberlands. <laughs> At least I thought I did. And I was like, okay, I'm going to save. And at the time, probably 60, 70 quid maybe for a mm. pair. Everybody had them. Yeah. And then I saved up the money and I was like, yeah, do I really want to blow it on a pair of Timberlands? They're kind of starting to go out of fashion now. Mm. And so I took myself out of it. Mm. And I was 70 extra pounds in my pocket. Yeah. yeah. So I think that thoughtfulness and that kind of really taking the time to figure out whether it's something you want, need, you don't always have to buy things that you need. Sometimes you just want them. Mm. But if you take the time, actually, you'll figure out that you don't want them as much as you thought you might have. Mm. Mm. And what are some of the things that you spend the most money on for yourself now as an adult? Oh, I don't actually spend a lot of money. No? No. I'd think, I mean, I'd say it was food, which is terrible. And my mum would literally throw a fit if she realised how much we spent on food. Um, but it's probably that's our week spot is actually it's been a long day mm. let's put our kick our feet, feet up and indulge so yeah whether it be actually buying the more premium ingredients for the food that we might cook mm-hmm. or whether it's indulging in a takeaway or going out to a restaurant I think that's and and actually if you think about what we could be spending money on mm-hmm. food's probably yeah yeah not, not massive not massive and as a 
non-drinking, non-smoking vegetarian. <laughs> Mate, it's not, not a lot my, then. My weekly shop is not huge. <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess it's food. But again, like I love photography. So my camera was very expensive. Okay. Um, I didn't have to buy it, which is bonus. Oh, why didn't you have to buy it? Because it was a birthday present oh, for my hubby. Oh, um, oh, which well. I guess I kind of did have to buy it. <laughs> His money's my money kind of uh, mentality. But yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't deny myself things. But like I said, I... Yeah, I don't also, I don't splash out on what I see as unnecessary stuff. Yeah, you wouldn't. So you're not like a like a Louis Vuitton handbag person. No. So that's not your vibe. Not at all. No. Which, again, probably saves me a lot of money. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you mentioned just there that you're married and you touched a little bit on the kind of my money is your money mm. vibe. How do you go about kind of combining finances as a, as a couple? Mm. So we've been together a very long time and I guess we started our money management way before even kind of marriage was on the cards. Mm. We'd both put a little bit away in a joint account, um, preparing for one day if we decide to get married. What kind of, so what kind of age were you when you got a joint account? Because that's quite interesting. So uh, we didn't actually get a joint account. There was trust uh, in that he sent me money and I kept it in a separate account. Because at the time it was, mm. it would be way too complicated to start a joint yeah. account. But are you talking about like, because you guys have been together very young. So when you were doing this, what kind of age would you have been? 21. Okay. Um, So 21, we were both working. I I think it was something as little as £50 a month. Yeah. uh, Going into an account. And then as soon as we got full-time jobs, it kind of increased to, I think, maybe 100 or 200. Mm -hmm. And soon enough, we had a very substantial pot of money Mm. um, that we were either going to blow on a holiday (laughs) (laughs) or put towards our wedding. Yeah. And so when it got to Aura House, actually, um, we didn't know how far our relationship was going to go at the time, but it just felt like the sensible thing to do. But that is quite, I feel like you just say it like it's logic, but I don't know that many like 22 year olds that were in a relationship then that were like saving like 100 quid or whatever towards a potential future. That is quite interesting. I think it's because I was adamant that we would live alone. Um, And so having kind of grown up in the family home, both of us, uh, I wanted to start a kind of a new life together. Mm-hmm. And so that was always in the back of my mind is if I want to get on the property ladder, I will need to start saving, yeah. which I already had. I already had a savings pot because I was working, you know, and as soon after uni, I got my first full-time job. So it all kind of worked out and I was mm-hmm. constantly um, having a kind of salary income. Mm-hmm. So I had enough, but I, I wanted him to also have enough mm-hmm. Um, so that if we ever were to get there, mm. it wouldn't just be me bringing it. Yeah. And I knew that he would need that kind of nudge mm-hmm. of encouragement because I was probably a sensible teenager mm. and he probably wasn't. <laughs> so it was like, do what you want with the rest of your money, but make sure that £200 is coming to me. So mm. at the end of the day, if we broke up, we had a contract written. Wow, did you? Yeah. Wow. So just a Word document. Yeah. That I used to, and a statement that I used to send him every month. <laughs> oh my God, Jazz. Um, just to say, this is how much is in the fund. Uh, you're entitled to 50% of it. Amazing. And uh, so if we ever broke up, he'd, you know, worst case scenario, he'd get to go on a commiseration holiday. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, from a very young age, I had that mindset of save, save, save. Um, but also, you know, that's 50 to 100 pounds. There was still a lot to spend. Yeah. Um, I decided kind of what I would do with my spending money and, you know, he also does the same. And we kind of keep that same mentality today. Right. So we've got a, we both feed into a joint account. Out of that will come the mortgage, the bills, the shopping, 
etc. And then we don't, we still have our own money. Yeah. So that if he's buying me a gift, I'm not buying myself a gift. Yeah. Or if he decides he wants to buy his mum something really nice and expensive, that's yeah. kind of his, totally his prerogative. And yeah. I, there's no animosity mm. either way mm. to say, well, why are you spending that much on so-and-so? Mm. Because we're both very comfortable with how much we're feeding into the main account. Yeah, so that's the main thing that's your combined thing is what you're paying into this joint pot. But what about, do you have any, um, like a threshold of what you might spend separately on say an item without without consulting each other or do you kind of just do your go do your own thing no there's probably a consult- consultation so like for example because the reason i said is because this was something i was talking about with my husband recently we were we, we had never really set it as such but we kind of realized that naturally we felt like this this may sound like a really small amount but if i was going to buy something that was like more than a hundred pounds that felt like something that I probably, I wouldn't like, it's not like I would ask him for permission or anything because it's my money, but we'd probably, I'd probably like chat to him about it a bit. Like, mm. oh, I'm thinking about buying this. I don't know. It just it felt like if, for us, it felt like a hundred pounds seemed like the amount that if you're just buying something sort of, they should know. I don't know yeah. if that sounds weird. Not at all. I don't. That doesn't sound weird to mm. me at all. I think even now, and now more so than ever with uh, kind of Dean in the picture, mm. everything is now evaluated versus what could go in his savings. Right. So any big, and I consider £100 as a big expense, mm. any big expense, um, we'd, again, we'd figure out together whether it's something we need to purchase now, yeah. whether we'd want to wait, uh, whether there's somewhere else we could do it or mm. find it or cheaper, mm. etc. I think, I think it's really good to have those conversations because like Mm. I said it's that time and it's that thinking and it's that other voice Mm. that challenges your actually do you do you want it do you need it yeah um rather than this kind of nature of impulse buying which is what today's generation seems to be doing Mm. um spending money you don't have to buy things you don't need to impress people who don't really care (laughs) and I think that we've just all been sucked into that Mm. and actually having the kind of being brave enough to say no I don't need it uh, and no that's not gonna genuinely make any difference to my life Mm. um yeah I think that that's a really positive way to think about it and if somebody else needs to tell you that then so be it yeah but we would like I said we don't often spend okay so the house is probably a good example yeah if I'm buying a lampshade for the house yes I will drop him a note to say what do you think Mm. more so less so about the price more so about actually do you yeah. happy with this choice? And then it will be, it costs this much. And then he might say, well, actually, maybe that's too much to spend on a lampshade this month. Yeah. Um, so I think it's that voice of reason, which is really important. Mm-hmm. So we're sat in your lovely home. It's Thank very <laughs> lovely. Um, and, you know, you're, yeah, you're a young, relatively young couple who have bought, you know, a home in London. Could you talk to me a little bit about how you went about doing that I mean you talked a bit about saving did was it something you both saved completely did your family help a little bit so I remember this time really well because I had just been made redundant oh wow from well I took redundancy from Sainsbury's because they were relocating uh the office to Coventry which didn't sound ideal Mm. to me (laughs) um I we were we decided we're going to get married that year and we'd bought a house all in one very short space of time we again a lot of that was some of it was a joint saving uh, a lot of it was my saving Um, I'm a year older and I'd been working 
two years longer. Mm-hmm. So I had uh, a bit more kind of to my name. Um, also, I was just in a very good job very early on. So I think that really helped. The redundancy package contributed. Um, so we had enough for a deposit on our own. And I think that's kind of why our parents were really happy with our decision to kind of buy our own property I mean traditionally it would be you know the wife's duty to kind of go and live in the husband's family home etc etc so I wouldn't say we're breaking the mold but it was um you know it was a talking point in that we were showing that we were ready both financially and from from a relationship point of view so they were supportive of our decision we were super fortunate in terms of the timing so we bought this house six years ago now mm-hmm. when it was it still at the time felt really expensive yeah but you know we we managed we had probably about 15 percent deposit wow that's very good yeah mm-hmm. on our, our that we'd saved on our own mm-hmm. it needed a lot of work it needed a lot of tlc and you know it took us five years to get together a pot to make it this beautiful yeah um, but for five years we were slumming it to a certain extent <laughs> i mean you know that's probably not, not the best way to <laughs> relatively it. speaking relatively speaking yeah um but we you know we again we weren't we didn't have the luxuries we were buying cheap furniture we were watching every penny we had the app that said you know this box of cereal is cheaper in asda than it is in sainsbury's and you know we were being really quite thrifty mm-hmm. um so that we could save for this day and yeah i think i do feel worried for some of my friends and peers who um might be looking to buy, get on the property ladder now i think it's a very scary time yeah to try and become a property owner and i don't envy the position at all that they're in but i just feel thankful that we made it onto the ladder as early as we did mm-hmm. um because yeah i think now that we're sitting on an investment which is where i always wanted to be mm. um so that i don't have to worry too much um about what the future brings Mm -hmm. and just talking a little bit about the future so do you um like save for your old age i'm only getting younger (laughs) sorry (laughs) (laughs) i think now it will be saving everything that we have for dean and to make sure that he has the best start in life i think when you own a property um and you have family and the kind of cultural connections that we do you don't feel you're ever going to be hungry or homeless, mm-hmm. if that's fair to say. So if anything, you know, was to happen, we could move into either family home and not feel too kind of worried that they wouldn't be happy with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, we save. We save for our old age. I mean, I pay standard into the state pension, etc. Yeah. But I would, I mean, my plan would be to eventually have a kind of second income through a second property mm. so that pension isn't mm. something that I have to heavily invest in now. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think, I think culturally we are inherent savers mm. because our families have come from so little and I've had to scrimp and save to, to have our, our parents' family homes and so that we could have our family homes now. Mm. It's just, yeah, it's just, I think it's just ingrained in that you, even my mummy will will come round now and say, oh, you're buying yogurt from the shops. I could, shall I just what? make you, shall I make you some yogurt? Make you yogurt? Yeah. Wow. Make natural, natural yogurt. Wow. At my mum's house, we yeah. only had made natural yogurt wow. and she couldn't believe that when I got married and got my own place that I didn't continue to do making that. it. Okay. 
So I think there's, like I said, I, I do cut corners, especially when it comes to kind of convenience mm-hmm. um, and managing time, time and money, because I think that's the other thing. Time is so precious mm-hmm. and so valuable that often it's, again, okay, I'm, I'm happy to pay the premium because it saves me an hour. Yeah, I mean, I've never heard of, I've never thought, considered buying buying yogurt to be a massive luxury. Yeah. But My mum <laughs> can't believe that we spend pounds seventy on yogurt oh. when a pint of milk is, you know, a lot less. Wow. Because all you need it. to make yogurt, just okay. a pint of milk. True, true. So you've talked a lot about, obviously, your son and saving for your son. Um, what kind of money lessons do you want to teach him? And do you, f- do you feel like you're obviously saving towards his future? Do you have in your mind... Um, like an idea of where you want that money to go like is it for uni is it for his home or Mm -hmm. or just would you just let him do with it what he wants so I think the way in which my parents raised me is kind of what I'd like to mimic is that actually I've got your back but you don't need to know that from day dot so if I wasn't able to get on the property ladder I'm pretty sure my parents would have been there to support me through it but equally I was taught that you need to kind of pave your own path. And so I'd really want Dean to learn the importance of working hard, of working smart, of earning money, of saving money, and just genuinely the value of it. So even now, like, again, I don't think he's denied the finer things in life, but I am not out there blowing money that could be sitting in his savings on things that he doesn't need. He's quite happy to play with the same... 10, 15 toys in rotation. He doesn't need hundreds of them. Yeah. Um, and I don't think he's going to have any more of a fulfilled life if I threw more money at him. Yeah. So education is very important um, to me. So that's something I would be willing to spend money on. Um, not necessarily clothes, mm. but perhaps activities that will help him learn and to grow. Um, experiences that will make him more kind of culturally diverse and aware yeah, for me, it's just not about things. It's about things that can help him become a better human being. Mm. Um, and I also want him to learn the value of giving money away mm. um, or giving your time in money, mm. in kind. Um, because I think, again, so we're taught that at least 10% of your earnings should be kind of donated to charitable causes. Mm. And so when you say we're taught that, is that from your family or is it from like faith? So faith and family, I guess. Um, so yeah, it would be either donations through the temple or kind of charitable acts that you do off your own back. But the mentality is you give 20% to the tax man. So you should be giving 10% to, to God or to godly activities. Mm. Um, so I think that's a great way of thinking about it. That then leaves me 30% out of pocket. <laughs> <laughs> True. But yeah, I just want him to learn that actually he is going to have, hopefully, um, a really good start in life and that others aren't as fortunate and to just be, yeah, just to be, to, to always be kind um, and to pay it forward wherever he can. Yeah, amazing. Um, and just what sort of to end a little bit, I just thought anyone who was interested in get, getting into a similar career, getting into sustainability, one, seems like you can earn some money can you earn money in this sector definitely yeah and you will do for the next like the problem isn't going away (laughs) um so you're kind of guaranteed a job for the next 20 years um it's something i think the beauty of sustainability is you don't have to come from a particular background in terms of you can be an accountant you can be in finance you can be in law you could be in engineering you could be in comms and you can make it in sustainability and i think that that's the beauty of the role um if you're a great communicator 
and you're a good influencer, then there's a job uh, in sustainability for you. I'll pop links to Jazz's Twitter and website in the show notes. And if you want to see a photo of her collecting her royal honours in that sari, head over to letschatcash.com. Right, it's time for my more money section. This week, I wanted to tell you about the financial diet, which is a wealth of information for anyone wanting to take better control of their finances. They have a YouTube channel with loads of helpful videos on topics like side hustles you can do from your bed, creative savings tips, and things which appear as investments but are actually scams. They describe themselves as discussing personal finance in a way that doesn't make you want to curl up in a ball and cry, and I for one can totally get on board with that. If YouTube's not so much your thing, then they also have an amazing website with articles such as 10 things I did to make moving home feel like progress and not a step backwards. My only caveat about the financial diet is that it is American, so not all of the money stuff completely translates to a UK market, but loads of their practical and emotional money advice is still really relevant and helpful for us Brits. I'll link to some of my favourite financial diet articles and videos on letschatcash.com. Check it out and let me know what you think. Next week is a conversation with Toby Asari. Toby works in private equity research, an area, I'll be honest, I was totally unfamiliar with. She explained what this role actually entails and the type of salary and bonuses people in this industry can expect to take home. We also discussed differing attitudes to money in the UK versus Nigeria, which is where her parents are from, and her incredible new financial resource for parents, which she's just launched called My Bump Pay. People can go on the website and they can find out information about, you know, exactly what is statutory maternity pay, how do you go about getting it, what happens if you don't get statutory maternity pay, what are the alternatives, Um, and then the main part of it is actually reviews on different company maternity pay policies so you know parents can kind of go on there and have a look or people that want to be parents can go in there and have a look and start to make the right decisions that kind of work for them and their family life that's all on next week's episode of let's chat cash subscribe so you don't miss it if after listening to this you fancy more money chat follow us on twitter at let's chat cash where i regularly share personal finance news and inspiration and you can submit ideas and guest suggestions for future episodes Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, I'd love it if you gave it a rating and a review in your podcast app as it really helps other people to find us. Cheers and I'll see you next time.